This morning, God bless you. Thank you for worshiping uh, along with us. Franklin Campus, Perry, Oklahoma, we love all of you so much. Take your Bibles, everyone. Open to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. I have a really difficult task this morning of of trying to preach the the greatest message uh, ever known and being such an inadequate preacher. Pray for me. Mark chapter 16. So a woman named Edna had a a pug. Y'all know what a pug is? Uh, uh, Anybody got a pug before I say a a really ugly dog? Anybody got one? Have you seen one? A pug. She had this pug, and and the pug's name was was Zipper. Edna lived alone with Zipper, and she loved Zipper, but everybody else hated Zipper. Zipper was just this horrible little dog, ugly dog. The family didn't like Zipper. Nobody wanted to visit Edna because of Zipper, but she loved Zipper. She felt like Zipper did everything that she asked Zipper to do. She thought Zipper was a great dog. Zipper was a horrible dog. The minute she turned it out, she would swear that the dog never left her yard, but Zipper always left her yard. He went into the neighbor's yard, another lady who also lived alone. He'd go in the neighbor's yard. He would dig. He would bark, and the neighbor would complain and say she was going to call the dog catcher. And Edna would always say, my dog never leaves my yard. Of course he did. Zipper was a horrible dog. One day, Edna looked out the window. Zipper was outside. And Zipper had something in his mouth, something white. And he was shaking, just shaking this white something. At first, Edna thought it was maybe a hat or something. He would throw it up in the air and catch it. it. So she went out there to see what it was. It was the neighbor's rabbit. The lady that hated Zipper and hated her, the neighbor she could never get along with, who, who the only thing that this lady loved was a rabbit. Zipper had the woman's rabbit. And, and it was dead. I mean, Zipper had shaken this rabbit, shaken the life out of it. It dragged the rabbit through the dirt, obviously. It was horrible. This white rabbit now is just dead and muddy and, and awful. And Edna thought, what am I going to do? What do you think she did? Well, she took the dead rabbit in the house, washed it, shampooed it, blow-dried it, tried to fluff it a little. It was, it was uh, dead. But she, she sort of fluffed it up, got its ears to stand back up, and then she snuck into the neighbor's yard, put it back in the cage, just propped it up in there just right, propped the rabbit up, Went back home, took Zipper in the house. It was about an hour and a half later that Edna heard screaming from the neighbor's yard. Ah, screaming. The lady's just screaming. She runs out, tries to act innocent. What's going on? What is it? The lady says, my rabbit, my rabbit. Edna says, what is it? She says, my rabbit. It died two days ago. I buried it, and it's back. (laughs) Do you understand That in our experience, dead things stay dead. In our experience, dead things stay dead. But Easter changes everything. Everything. Mark chapter 16, verse 1. Easter changes everything. 
Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. And on the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in white robes sitting on the right side. The women were shocked. But the angel said, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there, just as he told you before he died. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered. And they said nothing to anyone, because they were too frightened. Take your seats. Even though the first three letters are F-U-N, funerals are no fun. Funerals are no fun. Do you ever think about your own? Do you ever think about the fact that you're going to die? Any of you ever thought about your own funeral, what you want people to do? Anybody prearrange their funeral? Let me see your hands. Prearrange, Pastor Eric, anything? Yeah, not a lot of us do that sort of thing. Choir members apparently are, <laughs> are all ready to go. <laughs> Oh my, do you think about what what you want? Uh, The old farmers, L.B. Chandler used to say, just tie a log chain around his leg and drag him into the sinkhole. Anybody kind of L.B. style, that'd be good enough for you? Yeah. Who wants the the gigantic expensive funeral that that they have? Who who wants that? Please do that for me. Raise your hand. You want the big funeral? It's okay. We're not going to have it for you today. Yeah, anybody? Who says keep it simple? Not not a lot. Not not a lot of to do. Don't need a lot of that. Yeah, that's a whole lot of us. Yeah. What about caskets? Who wants the big expensive? Because they got some really nice caskets these days. Y'all know this? They have beautiful, beautiful caskets. You're going to love the one you get. They're beautiful, beautiful. They have caskets now with a little drawer in it so you can put your stuff in it. Yeah, a little drawer right here. Yeah. How many of you want the Cadillac version of the casket? Yeah. How many of you are thinking more like the pine box, like on the old Gunsmoke show? Pine box? Yeah. Interesting. You know, J.C. Kirby, I'm not doing an advertisement for J.C. Kirby, but J.C. Kirby has a cardboard box now. It's awesome. I want that, personally. Card, I mean, I don't want it to say Frigidaire on the side or anything like that. <laughs> cardboard box is good for me, Casey. It's, it's good. For, I know. It's right in your price range, baby. Right in your price range. <laughs> yeah. See, my wife thinks like this. She plans ahead. Casey says, what are you going to do when I die? I don't know what I'm going to do when you die. She says, do you even know where our money is? Well, of course I don't. That's how you like it. I have no idea where, where our, our money is. So apparently she's got some folder. What's it filed under? Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's made a file for me. It, it's, it's, like, it's like in case of death, I, I open the folder and can, and can find out how much money Wade and I have. I, I don't know. Um, do you think a lot about these things? Because honestly, it's hard to think about these things. It really is. 
And on the one hand, many of us would say that this is the last thing we think about. However, if somebody dies, we know what to do. We know what to do. It is not pleasant. Nobody enjoys it. There there is nothing enjoyable about it. But I'm telling you, when you die, we will all snap into action. We know what to do. We'll call the coroner. We'll call 911. We'll call the funeral home. We will have you a nice funeral. After we bury you, we're going to go eat. We'll do it just like that. I mean, we know what to do when, when, when people die. It's, it's the way our, our society operates. It's the way nearly every culture that's ever been has operated. There are customs. There is a procedure. There are certain things that you do when people die. I don't know exactly why these things are so important, why there's always these sorts of customs, except maybe we need to let people know what to do. Maybe we need a procedure to follow, because honestly, at that point, on the one hand, we have no idea what to do, and yet we do it. We just snap into action, and we go through the procedure, and we seem to know what to do when when people die. That's how it was in the story, in the the amazing story that we read in Mark chapter 16. These women know what to do if Jesus is dead. You understand that? They know what to do. It's not pleasant. This is heart-wrenching, heart-breaking, difficult work, but somebody has to do it. They know what to do if he's dead. Notice how the story goes. It starts out on Saturday evening, and notice that they have to work ahead. They have to plan ahead. So as soon as the Sabbath is over, sundown on the Sabbath, and maybe some of the shops open back up, the women know what to do. They go out and they buy spices. They go out and buy spices just as soon as the shops open back up after the end of the Sabbath. They buy everything that they're going to need because on Sunday morning they're going to the grave. Jesus died. Now you understand, he died. He died. And the women are going to do what they know to do. In Jesus' day, there were customs just like there are customs for us. They know what to do if he's dead. They were going to go back to the grave and they were going to prepare his body Understand, in Jesus' day, there is no coroner to call. There's no funeral home to take care of the less, less appealing parts of this job. The family, the friends, somebody has to do this. And in this case, it's these women. They, they purchase spices. Surely you know that, that in Jesus' day, there's no embalming. They're not going to mummify the body. That's not even an option. They don't do that. But in the climate of Palestine, in this area, the real problem is how very, very quickly a dead body will begin to decay in the tomb. Remember when Lazarus died and they were about to open the grave. Jesus says, open the grave. And they say, no, you can't do that. He's been in the grave four days. There's going to be an awful smell. Understand, Jesus has been in the grave now three days. They're probably expecting an awful smell. And that is the point, of course. It's the only thing that they can do, but what you do in Jesus' day is that you try to mask the smell, and that's what they're going to do. You see, they know what to do if he's dead, so they gather all of these spices, and at their very earliest opportunity on Sunday morning, they're going to the grave. They have spices, they have oils, they have anything that would have a very, very strong aroma, 
back in that day, they would approach the body and they would just simply pour the oil over the body, pour whatever kind of aromatic, something kind of perfume, anything that would mask the smell of death. They purchased the spices, they purchased the oils, and, and they're making their way to the tomb. They pretty much know exactly what to do. Everything is figured out. But there's one thing they haven't figured out, and that is who will roll the stone away? Understand, they didn't bury bodies down in the ground. Bodies were buried in caves in the side of a hill, and, and it was above ground. And honestly, there would be often very many bodies in one place. Jesus' body was placed in a tomb, and chances are there would have been other areas, other little chambers where other bodies would be laid later. That's why the stone would roll and unroll, you understand. They had no idea how that massive stone was going to be moved by these three women. They could do a lot, but they couldn't do that. That's the amazing part. When they approach the tomb, they see that the stone is already rolled away. Now, they don't know what that means. It means nothing to them except that they're not going to have to do it. The stone is already rolled away, and so they enter the tomb Now, the typical tomb back in that day, understand, you would walk through that entrance and there would probably be another entrance to go back into a burial chamber. And that's what they do next. They walk through the entrance and then they go through a very, very small opening, probably about two feet high. And they crawl through that opening into the place where they knew Jesus' body had laid. But he's not there. He's not there. There is instead an angel there, a messenger from God to explain to them what's happened. Because understand, the empty tomb needs explanation. If all they found was an empty tomb, then all they can imagine is somehow Jesus' body is gone. But that's not the gospel. That's not the message. The empty tomb needs some explanation. And so there is an angel, a messenger from God there, a man dressed in white who says, Girls, I know that you've come here to find Jesus, who was dead, but he's not here. He's risen. And they were terrified. Do you understand? They knew what to do if if he was dead. They didn't know what to do if he was alive. They were prepared for death. They were not prepared for resurrection. The words that the gospel uses here, the words of the gospel, Mark, are the very strongest words for terror. The first word used there when it says that that, that they're alarmed, they're shocked, it means that literally they became immovable. They were paralyzed, absolutely paralyzed with fear. You understand that? And then they just simply started to shake. We're not using poetic language here. We're trying to help you understand what these women experienced. They were paralyzed with fear. They were trembling. There's nothing, nothing in their whole lives, nothing in any of their education, nothing in knowing and walking with Jesus, nothing prepared them for finding him living. Nothing prepared them for the empty tomb. They were absolutely terrified. Honestly, I understand being afraid of death. Most of us are very, very familiar with with being afraid of of death. That's something that we all live with. We, We know what it is to be afraid of death. 
Some of us fear our own death. That that's why we never go to the doctor. That's why we're eating all that bran. We fear our own death. We really don't like to think about the fact that our days are numbered and we don't know how many days we have. We know about the fear of death. We all know that. To be real honest with you, it's not so much my death that I fear. I really fear the death of loved ones, those that I love, my family. I think I could live through my dying. You know what I mean? I, I, I don't know how I would survive the loss of, of one of my family members. That, that's where the fear of death starts to, starts to get to me. Some of us, it's the, it's the fear of a process. It's a whole idea that I, I don't so much mind dying, I just don't want to be there when it happens. It, it, it's wondering about the process, perhaps the painful process, or honestly just stepping out into, into the unknown. That, that's frightening. And, and a lot of people honestly are, are afraid of hell. It's the idea that after they die, that they don't know what comes next. And that fear of hell, that, that fear of punishment begins to kick in. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You fear death for all of these reasons. You, you're afraid of what's on the other side of death. You, you're afraid of hell. You, you're afraid of loneliness. You're just a, a, afraid. The fear of death, we understand. But the amazing thing about the story here, the amazing thing about the women is that what they become overwhelmed with is not the fear of death. They actually know what to do in case somebody dies. It's the resurrection that honestly paralyzes them with fear. It's not so much a fear of death here. This is a fear of living. It's the fear of living that paralyzes the women. It's the fear of resurrection. Now, what is that about? That's something that we don't think about as much. It's probably not something you've ever even stopped to think about. But I would offer to you that some of you are more paralyzed by a fear of living than you are a fear of dying. It's living that you really don't know how to do. Death you're prepared for. It's your life that seems to make you get stuck. I know a lot of people that seem afraid of living. I think of all the teenagers in the world, none of them that we know, of course, but I think of all the teenagers in the world with their faces stuck in a cell phone 24 hours a day. Do you have a teenager with a cell phone? Let me see your hand. Yeah. Just one night, get up in the middle of the night and go into their bedroom, and what will you find? A teenager with their mouth open and a cell phone in her hand. Yeah. They fell asleep looking at it. They fell asleep texting, I'm bored, text me. Did you understand? That's what they fell asleep doing. What is it about our teenagers? What is it about so many people who cannot live without a screen in their face anymore? What is it about people who cannot live without a cell phone glued to the side of their head? What is that? I think that's people who don't know how to live. I think it's people who are so awkward, so awkward in the everyday movements of life that, that they have to find something to do with their hands, something to do so that they don't have, have to actually face people. So much easier to text or act like you're texting somebody than to actually have to have conversations with real people. And it's not just the kids. Understand, we raise the kids to be just like that, and they're just like us. We don't exactly know how to do life very well. Now, we know how to get up and get dressed and get our teeth brushed and get on with our day. We know how to go to work, but I'm telling you, most of us, if we're very, very honest, we're not so sure about this thing called life. 
It's the fear of life, honestly, that, that really begins to trip us up. I think for a lot of us, it, it's just the fear of, it's the fear of insignificance. It's the fear of somehow being unimportant, that, that nobody knows my name or, or nobody cares about me. It's that concern that if people see me just standing there uh, looking up without a cell phone in my hand, then people will think that I don't have any friends, that I don't have anything important somehow to say or, or do. You understand that when you see people walking through the mall talking on their cell phone, statistics say that something like 40% aren't talking to anybody. Something like 40% of the people aren't even talking to anybody. They're faking that. You know, the first time I said that in a sermon, I honestly, I wasn't sure I believed it. It sounded weird. But a lady on the way out said, I do that. It's one weird lady. Isn't that strange? That this is where we are now, that, that we have to somehow distract ourselves, that we have to pretend, that we have to have something to hold in our hand so that we have courage to face people. Just so afraid of not being important, so afraid of our life not meaning anything, afraid of not being significant, afraid of not having a, a, a purpose, afraid of being bored. Afraid of simply being miserable. Afraid of being alone. Think about it. I think there are more people afraid of living than there are perhaps people afraid of dying. It's, it's living that we don't know how to face. Dying we have a custom for. So the women go into the tomb. They hear the news of resurrection. And the scripture says they leave frightened. So what's the key? Well, what's the key? Because honestly, I see these just sort of twin fears. It's not so much that either you're afraid of dying or afraid of living. I honestly think these two things travel together. I really honestly believe that it is your fear of dying that makes you afraid to live. I really think that's why so many of us continue to go through the, the motions every day of imagining the very worst thing that could happen, the worst thing that could happen to our children, the worst thing that could happen to us. That's how our brains operate. We're so afraid of awfulness, so afraid of death that we're also afraid to live. I think they go together. I also would say that for many, many of us, we will never ever be ready to live until we are fully ready to die. So the woman, in their fear that they are leaving the tomb, but they're leaving the tomb with words. Don't forget what the angel has said to them because it's actually amazing. The angel says this, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now, go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you. Do you get that? Jesus goes ahead of you. That's the rather amazing thing that the angel manages to say. Jesus is not here. He is already gone. He's gone ahead of you. He's gone ahead of you. This fear of living, this fear of insignificance, this fear of life that you have. Do you want to know what the key is? You want to know how to get over that? You want to know how to get ready to die so that you can therefore be ready to live? It's really this simple. You just need to know that Jesus goes ahead of you. 
He goes ahead of you. He has already been into that tomb, and he went out the other side. Do you understand that? Open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Beautiful, beautiful scripture that talks about what Jesus has done. Now listen to this. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he, say the word, die. Only as a human being could Jesus die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Do you understand what Jesus has done? Because he has done it for you. He's done it for the world, absolutely, but you've got to understand that includes you. He's done something for you. Because you and I are flesh and blood, because we are limited, because we know that we're going to die, and that fear of death also makes us absolutely afraid to live. Jesus has done an amazing thing. Jesus, the very Son of God, God in the flesh, he stepped down. He stepped down and took on a body just like yours, just like mine, a body that could die. God himself steps down and takes on a body that can die because only by dying could he set us free from our own slavery to the fear of dying. That's what the scripture says. He steps down and he dies for us. He experiences death so that he can conquer death. Death is dead, as we sang this morning. That's what Jesus has done. That's why Jesus came. He had to die because death is that last enemy for us. Death is the one thing we have no control over, no say in. Death absolutely is the future for every single one of us with no hope until Jesus has come and died for us. Now something's different. Now something altogether is different. Do you understand? A stone has been rolled away from the tomb now for all of us. Something is different because of what Jesus has done. And what he has done is to go before us. He goes before us. He comes down before us and assumes a body just like mine, just like yours. And he dies for us, ahead of us. He goes in the tomb and out the other side on into glory. Do you understand? There is a resurrection for Jesus. And that means there is a resurrection for you and a resurrection for me. I have nothing to fear in death. I have nothing to fear in death. And if I have nothing to fear in death, then guess what? I have nothing to fear in life. Absolutely nothing. If if death has no power over me, if death has no power over you, then what is there left to fear? I'm saying, you really need to get ready to die so that you'll be ready to live. It's not so much that, that now that Jesus has risen that everybody else just went straight to heaven. That's not how it worked at all. Honestly, that's what the Jews expected, 
The Jews expected a resurrection at the very end of the age. They thought everybody would be raised together at the end. That's why the resurrection of Jesus was so impossible for the Jews to believe. That one, only one, has somehow experienced this ahead of the rest of the human race. Yes, he goes ahead of us. He goes before us now. Which means in very, very, in very, very simple terms, you've got to follow him. He goes before you, but honestly, only if you'll follow him. I'm not one of those preachers who just likes to preach and see people get saved because I think that makes me look good. That's not who I am. I'm not one of those preachers that just wants to see people get saved because somehow I think that that, that, that makes the church look good. That's not who I am. I want you to get saved because I want you to experience the life that Christ created you for. You were not created for fear. You were not created for insignificance. You weren't created for loneliness. You weren't created for death. You were created for life. And the kind of life that Jesus talks about is the life he calls abundant life, overflowing life. You understand? You shouldn't need a drink every single morning just to start your day. You shouldn't need a bottle of pills just in order to be able to, to be able to stand to be in a room with your own children. You understand? You shouldn't need all of this. You should be able to sleep at night. You should be able to have some peace in your heart. You should be able to live in the present without constantly living with the guilt of the past. You understand? There's a life for you. Jesus wants you to have life. Absolutely true. He wants you to go to heaven when you die. You should not live with the fear of hell, but you understand? You also should not live with the fear of life. You should understand that Jesus has created you for a purpose and for a reason. And he wants to bless you and he wants to love you. And he wants you to live your life and to live it joyfully and to live it with gladness and to live it with fullness and to live every single day of your life until the day you die and pass on into eternal life. Do you understand? He wants you to live. He simply wants you to live. And I want you to live too. I want you to live. I want you to have hope in your marriage. I want you to have hope for your children. I want you to know forgiveness for your sins. I want you to know that Jesus goes before you. He's gone into the grave and out the other side. And you have to follow him now. If you're ever going to know life, you've got to follow him. At least you've got to start. You're saying, well, preacher, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible I'm not sure I believe. I am sure that that's true. And guess what? For this moment, in this, what we're talking about right now, I don't care. Brother Tim, I don't know. I think I believe in evolution. I don't care that you do. That's not what we're talking about. That's not going to keep you from the life Jesus has for you. Brother Tim, I'm not sure about going to church all the time. I'm not, I don't think I am a churchgoer. I'm not trying to make you a churchgoer. I just want you to live your life. I want you to live life and not be afraid of life. I want you to learn how to love people and be at peace in your own skin. That's what we're talking about here. It's not about passing a Sunday school quiz. It's not about being at church every Sunday. We're talking about your life and your death. I don't care. 
what you believe about the dinosaurs and what you believe about evolution. That's never a matter for salvation. I just don't care. I don't care at this moment. We're talking about your life, your soul. What you believe about evolution, what you believe about drinking or smoking, I'm telling you, it's not going to change the matter of what happens to your soul when you die. It's the matter of following after Jesus, of surrendering yourself to him, giving your life to him. You just got to start somewhere. Well, preacher, I don't know, my life's pretty messed up. I don't think I can do that yet. I don't think I can live that life yet. I'm not asking you to live a whole life today. I'm just asking you to to let Jesus start something in your heart. There's a whole lot he's going to work out of you along the way. Just give him permission to start his work in your life. Give him permission. He goes ahead of you in your life. He's he's blazing a trail for you in in your life. He did not create you for this misery that you're living in. Did not create you for boredom. Did not create you for nothingness. Created you for life. But you're afraid of it. You're afraid of life. Afraid of dying. Afraid of living. Afraid of everything. Well, there are those who have been where you are now. They were the women who went to the tomb that morning. They expected to find him dead. They would have known what to do if he were dead. They were ready for death. It's, it's the fact that they found him alive that, that absolutely made them come unglued. It's the fact that suddenly the unexpected, what they never saw coming, resurrection suddenly had dawned on, on that day. And they were terrified. They were frightened. They were paralyzed. But not forever. Do you understand? They got past that because Jesus went before them and they got to Galilee and they saw him. They saw him, and they walked and talked with him, and from that day on, they followed him. And the fear was gone. I'm asking you today to follow him, or at least to start. Will you start? It's probably going to start with something like a prayer. Something's got to happen in your heart It's just got to be some sort of moment of surrender, a a moment of belief, a moment when you stop and you think about what the Bible says and you suddenly realize that you believe it, that you really do believe that Jesus was God's son, that Jesus really was God in the flesh and that he died on a cross and that that somehow was, was a death in your place, a death for you. That Jesus, who knew no sin, had all the sins of the world placed upon him. And that includes your sin. That he was carrying something for you. That he, who never did anything to deserve punishment, was punished for you. Because you and I, we deserve to be punished. That was, that was for me. There needs to be that moment when it dawns on you that this is personal. That it has to do with you and that you realize that you believe it. You believe that he really rose from the dead. In our experience, dead things stay dead, but we're talking about God here, what Jesus has done. And he did not stay dead. He rose, and you realize that you believe that. Scripture says if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is God, Jesus is who he said he was. If you'll confess that with your mouth and and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, 
you'll be saved. There's an awful lot to work out along the way between here and heaven. But you got to start somewhere. You got to start with something happening inside your heart. I'm just asking you to let it start today. I'm asking you to believe today. I want you to understand that he goes before you in your life. And he wants to show you how to live your life. But you're going to have to follow him. That means you're going to have to give up trying to live your own life and trying to blaze your own path. It means you're going to have to find your feet falling in the path behind his feet. Will you follow him? I'm asking you just to start, make a start, because we're not just talking about in in this present moment. We're talking about your whole life. Jesus wants you to live. He wants to give you back your own life. He wants you to live it joyfully, gladly. He wants you to live it eternally. But eternity's got to start somewhere. I'm asking you to let your eternity with Christ start right now. Before this service ends, before you leave this place, I just want to ask you to to pray to Jesus. If you've never done so before, pray to Jesus today. There aren't any magic words. It's just your heart opening up to what he wants to do for you. If you will open your heart He will give you life, eternal life. Why don't you let that start right now? Where you are, start the life that Jesus has for you. Let's pray together. Jesus, some of us don't know how to pray. We don't even know where to start. So, Lord, let us start at the empty grave. Let us start, Lord, at the very place of our fear and find out, Lord, that there is nothing to fear in death when we have already given you our lives. Lord, I pray for the people in this room, the people within the sound of my voice, the people in Franklin, the people in Oklahoma, the people in the overflow, people everywhere who might hear this message, Lord. I pray that they will begin to open their hearts to whatever you want to do in their lives. Lord Jesus, let them make a start. Let them start with a prayer. Let them start with believing. Let them simply start with something silent turning over inside their own hearts. But Lord, I pray that we will begin at the tomb and follow you from here on. Lord Jesus, let us follow you into our own lives, into you living through us with power and grace and love. Oh, Lord Jesus, there are many of us in this place today that are afraid of dying and afraid of living. Lord Jesus, I pray today that our fear will be swallowed up with your victory. Lord Jesus, do something new in our hearts. Lord Jesus, pass over everything dead within us. Bring us to life. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.